0: Hey, hello, everybody out there. This is the Fall Line with Chaos and Company and Angela Ross is here and I'm Dave Capron and we are here tonight with Kevin Jordan, all the way from Colorado. How's it going, Kevin? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're psyched to have you on here. Congratulations on uh, making the team. That's a pretty awesome accomplishment.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um- still pinch
0: myself every day. <laughs> like, yeah, That's good. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, that's good but now we'll tell you, you did, you made it. We, we've heard from everybody. We saw, we watched the uh, the little YouTube uh, live stream there. So it, it did happen. We heard your name. <laughs> well, well, here in the fall line, when we have someone that's on for the first time, we always like to start at the beginning and, and kind of, you know, how you started skiing, you know, where it was, who got you going, you know, was it family? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming your dad was involved somehow there because I know some history that he was a ski instructor. I'm not sure if that was before or after you started skiing.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I don't have like clear memories, you know, I, I remember a lot of, you know, hot chocolate and stuff like that, but I have I have an older brother and it, yeah, it was my dad who got me into it. He was, you know, a college professor and, you know, later on he, transferred into some industry stuff, but basically my older brother, uh, you know, he kind of learned when he was between one and two and a half. And then I learned when I was two, two and a half and he's three years older than me. So I just wanted to chase him around everywhere. So my dad actually invented, uh, you know, like one of those harnesses, like homemade harness, just ropes, it was like this yellow (laughs) nylon like cord. And I just, I think I was just trying to race my brother everywhere. You know, my dad was smart enough to say, Hey, go follow, you know, Brian. And, uh, I never really followed him. I just tried to to beat him <laughs> as much <laughs> as I could just try to go as fast as I could. So, so it was definitely a family affair, you know, for us, my mom would ski with us a bunch and my dad had gone through at that stage, I think it was like associate and then full, like full or registered. Um, and he didn't go through that process. So, and later on, I think he was, you know, he did go through his level one, level two, level three, or he, hit, he went through his level two and level three uh, later on. But, you know, we grew up skiing and uh, we were based in New Jersey. Then I was born in Jersey. And uh, my mom's side of the family is all from Jersey. And my dad's side is all from Massachusetts. So when he had a job transfer, we all moved up to Massachusetts. But mainly I, I started at Gunstock. So I have some fond memories of Gunstock. I, had an, I have an uncle who was on the ski patrol there. Um, and it was just about visiting family. And Having a good time and just skiing around
0: cool so what do you remember about
1: gunstock um i remember the pistol chair i thought that was a pretty cool chair and they had the alpine slide Uh, i remember the base lodge it's pretty cool there we go in hang out and just cram a bunch of people in there Uh, i remember skiing with my (laughs) my uncle a little bit you know i think it was the precursor to you know later on when i I started skiing starting when i was 14. You know and the whole ski school versus, you know, ski patrol. It's that, <laughs> that, uh, oh, schooler patrol, like yeah. who's better. I think it's a healthy rivalry, but I was, I was actually doing some research for this and, and spoke with my dad. And he said, he told me this one story where there's a, there's a trail there called tiger. And he took us down, you know, my brother was probably like six and I was probably three or something and took me down with the harness. And, you know, some lady looks over and my dad and it's like, are you gonna take those, those boys down there? And he's like, sure. They can't read. So (laughs) sit down, we went and, uh, you know, the woman was like looking back and I think my dad looked back and she was like, her mouth was (laughs) dropping And You know, it was one of those things where I think I definitely, you know, grew up skiing with the whole, whole family and fond memories of, of that. You know, the, all of us skiing together.
0: No. Well, well uh, Angelo, he has to like flip a coin when we get, you know, the competitions going between ski patrol and ski school, because he's kind of on both fences there. So, so what do you do? Just one week, you go with one team one next week, the other team, Angelo,
2: a lot of room in my heart for both teams. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he doesn't want to answer it. <laughs> yeah, so no he doesn't want he's afraid each team's is gonna come down. And if he says anything, Ken, we're gonna get him in trouble here tonight. Next question. Yeah.
2: Well I'll tell you what.
0: <laughs> Next question. <laughs> so what was before you became a ski teacher, what was um your life growing up? Um, you know, in your early teens or in your single digits, chasing your brother around? What was some of the fond memories or
1: did you yeah. race it all or yeah? No, I didn't I was a little later to to race in. Uh, I basically got a pass through, you know, my dad and my brother started uh, when my brother was in high school. I think I was in you know eighth grade or something like that. So I had the free pass. My my dad got back into ski instruction. And it was one of those things we started at uh, Neshoba Valley in Westford, Massachusetts and home of uh, Rick, Rick Metcalf, Joe Cartier. Joe's at Wachusett now, but yeah. uh, I was just, you know, that like 10 or 11, 12 year old kid. And 17 trails at neshoba and I think there's like six or seven lifts they all go to the top 240 vertical feet so i would just go there with them and i would ski around pretty much by myself i, I knew all the jumps i would hit all the jumps i would ski like the powder lines and they'd be uh, skied out in an hour <laughs> and so you know i think i saw how much fun my brother and my dad were having doing it i was like oh, that'd be fun to to do and in the state of massachusetts you could actually um you could actually work at the age of 14 so my my dad lobbied hard there was another kid in my in my class in andover and he andy lapsa and he and i were the first ever junior ski instructors at neshoba so they kind of like lobbied for us we got hired and uh, when i was 14 it was the coolest job i'd ever it's the coolest part-time job and i was like wait you're gonna give me a free pass okay that's good uh and you're gonna you know let me ski and Maybe teach some other people. Like you trust me, that's that's great. <laughs> so, so I started ski instructing there, and my brother, you know, he went to he actually went to the University of Michigan, and uh, I remember thinking, you know, in a couple of years, I was like, oh, I got to figure out what I want to do, and I actually looked at different programs, and I ended up going to the University of Vermont and studying recreation management because I was like, I think I want to do something in the ski industry, and you know, ski instructing definitely to bring me a little bit out of my shell you know forced me into some public speaking and just uh, you know gain some more confidence and you know, talking to other people and i just remember entertaining you know a bunch of kids and i have a lot of respect for those little feeder areas that you know have a busload of kids that show up and here's one hour and you did that lesson and here's the next hour and you did that lesson and here's another hour <laughs> so yeah it was a lot of fun
0: so what kind of um, conversations happened with dad at, at uh, lunch and dinner? Like, was it a lot of tech talk or were you like, hey, I'm not going to
1: talk about skiing with you, dad? No, I think it was it was definitely heavily cited on my part of of asking questions. You know, I tried this and it, it absolutely did not work. <laughs> yeah. And then I tried this and that didn't work either. So what should I do? What should I do? You know, can you help me? And just through talking and even in the the car rides home, you know, I'd be like this, I was doing this exercise or that exercise and and it wasn't really, you know, working or I was trying this or trying that. So I kind of debriefed a lot with him and he would share kind of what he was doing and, um, you know, because he would have a class as well. And just together, I I really learned a lot about, you know, ski instruction and coaching and teaching (laughs) as an art form.
0: So is there anything big that your dad still is kind of in your overall teaching or your perspective on skiing that you go, you know, I think I kind of got this started when dad got me started. It's something I kept from him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think of that exercise, like the, the thumper turns and, uh, I definitely use the thumper turns all the time. And, you know, we had this uh, thing where he, he kind of taught me, you know, pretend like you're a forest ranger and. And the snow's on fire and you're trying to put out, you know, some fires so you would make the turn and just you know, tap the tail of the inside ski. And then, you know, you'd you'd turn and stop tapping the tail of the inside ski and actually just smother, you know, the fire. And uh out here in the West, there's a lot of uh you know, <laughs> national forests. Um also this year there's a lot of forest fires too. So um still applicable. I still I still have used it, but obviously it's just you know, it's just the thumper turn and trying to have a little progression and, you know, relating it back to the, to the student. But I always thought that was, that was a cool one. That was one that I would just pull out at random here in snow mass <laughs> and, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. They need to use it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> here we go. Dad getting me going again. Yes. Yeah, so exactly. Where did your mom fit into all this? Was she in the ski world with you guys? What was she yeah. doing?
1: Yeah. So she actually would, she skied with us when we were um, younger uh, and then we got a lot faster and a little more, uh, you know, we wanted to go off jumps and everything like that. So she was always very supportive. She was in the base lodge. She would go cross-country skiing, um, snowshoeing, uh, still kind of does that right now. She she did go skiing. I studied abroad in New Zealand and and that was, the, I think, the last time she went skiing in 2003. So she came down there. There wasn't really much cross-country or Nordic skiing down there. and. So she just went skiing, and the ski instructor thought he was a genius because she'd actually had skied at a pretty high level before, <laughs> and he was kind of taking that refresher course. And like, wow, you're uh, you're actually quite good <laughs> at this. So, so yeah, so she definitely was, you know, a part of it. The family trips, all that stuff. But once we started kind of about skiing her a little bit, she she was always there for us in the lodge. We'd hang out and hang out a lot, drink a lot of hot chocolate. So
0: yeah. So, so I know um, you got to ski with Rick Metcalf down at the um, bar and he's been he was an incredible clinician and uh, educator in our world. And um, what kind of influence? And did you get a bunch of opportunities, or just a few opportunities to ski with him while you were there?
1: Yeah, no, I um, I got to ski with him actually pretty regularly. I, I got my level one when I was sixteen, got my level two when I was seventeen. I have to, I'll tell you that story in a little bit. But with <laughs> Rick, it was you know it was it was kind of like when he was there. It would always be like these little like room, oh Rick's here tonight oh Rick's here tonight <laughs> you know and it would be like well maybe he'll do a clinic <laughs> and I definitely got in and and did a lot of those clinics and he he was an engineer and so he was pretty you know uh, clear concise and knew what he was talking about and uh, so he definitely helped train me towards level two stuff same with Joe Cartier you know and and there was a bunch of trainers there and, and even my dad so so at this point my dad was because he didn't do that full or register he had to go back through the system. So he was doing his level two and I was quickly nipping at his heels of me trying to do my <laughs> level two. And then he's trying to do his level three and then I'm trying to do my level three. Um, so, so yeah, definitely got Rick was a, was a huge influence and definitely a, bit, a big loss for that show of community and, yeah. and, you know, and PSA Eastern really. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I remember every time I saw Rick was the big smile and he'd just look at me in that smile and go, Hey Davey, what's going on? And it's like that was his that's what he called me, Davey. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I miss Rick a lot. Yeah. He was and he was very concise and you know, you, you could really understand what he was talking about from you know that engineering. He was like, There was not a lot of mincing of words. It was like, here it is, boom.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost like it just like hit you between the eyes. And you're like, oh, oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> must then he just little, smile at you.
2: <laughs> I must've been a little slower on the uptake than you guys. Cause I, he was our DCL coach for a while. Yeah. I re- I always thought it was like a time bomb. Like he'd say something the morning of the first day, and it would take me until the afternoon, of the <laughs> second day to get it. And I was like, "Oh my god, that was great!" <laughs> Drive home all happy, but it, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Oh man, you definitely had some some magic with him. I, I think you know mm-hmm. that rubbed off a little bit. So
0: yeah, um, and you you went to school up in Vermont. Yeah, you know we won't hold that against you. <laughs> angela's down in pa i'm up here in new hampshire but um some
1: great folks over there um and you taught at smugglers i think while you were in school right yeah no so i had got my level two when i was um 17 and i i did that at waterville so so in new hampshire and i remember it was like a three-day process and then i'm pretty sure i had dutch one day and then i'm pretty sure i had the other day dave Chaffee, Chaffee? Yeah, Dave um, Chaffee, yeah. Matt Attach, I just remember him being tall uh, guy. <laughs> yes, he was. And then uh, I can't remember who else I had, but um, technically I was actually 17 and he had to be 18. And my my dad actually faxed in the, the form, and he like, goofed up my birthday. Like he couldn't remember it or he <laughs> messed up the date and he, like had to scratch it off. So there was like more like heightened awareness of my birthday and the office didn't really catch it. And that, that time he had to, you know, pass two of the three days. And I think he had a pretty good first day, maybe not this greatest second day. And I can remember riding up the lift with, with Dave Chaffee, And he's like, so when, when do you turn 18? And I was like, uh, in, in May. And this is like in, in March <laughs> and he's like, oh, so, so you would be 19 in May. And I'm like, no, 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 I'll be 18 in May. And I, am pretty sure his goggles just went like, like Wait a minute. And so I can remember. Mick O'Gara kind of bringing me to the side and he's like, Kevin, 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 like, <laughs> we're not going to let, you know, this detract from your accomplishment and like accomplishment, like I'm, I'm going to make it. I, I passed. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, and basically he's, he's just like, you know, we would just appreciate it. If you didn't, if you didn't tell anyone that, you know, you got your level two when you were 17 and it's like, okay, I'll make sure I I tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, he, and here
2: you are telling our eight listeners.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you have more than eight listeners. <laughs> yeah.
2: um,
1: but then, but Smugglers Notch and in, in Vermont is pretty cool because I actually interviewed with, at Stowe, and uh, they wanted to hire me, and they wanted me to there on the weekends and during the Christmas breaks and all the spring breaks. And you know, at that point, I was kind of my first, <clears throat> my first mission or job was to be a full time student and you know graduate. So <laughs> that's what I prioritized was was some school. So I. Met with mike frisbee from smugglers notch and uh, they actually they hired me and it was kind of part time and you know it was like i i could go to the um you know the mountain on saturday and i was i would later on in my junior senior i was uh, i was there over christmas but i would just try to backline and and go ski the the notch i would just try to wait for really good days and then would go ski and, and smugglers notch which is some of the best tree skiing and i i think i've done anywhere you know in the world it's it's some of the best tree skiing that i know of and uh and there i got to work on my level three and so i met people like mickey stone and he helped a ton but you know the the cool thing about smugs was that they actually hired me to the adult program so gary hopper had this really cool weekend wingnut you know family i guess and they all took me in and and i was like their a surrogate, you know, kind of son <laughs> for all of them. Um, and there were, there are some cool people there, John Williams, John Kurowski, uh, Neil Smith. I think many of them are actually still there. So I'm, I'm very excited to try to get back there and see all those people. Cause I had, I had a ton of fun where they were all, if you haven't been to Smugs, it's, it's a really unique place because they, they do such an awesome job of of programming and kids programming and the mountains is awesome. Uh, their, their lifts are a little bit <laughs> slow, which is is okay. It gives you a lot of time to, to talk and mm. some stuff on the, on the chairlift. And that's kind of what I remember is, you know, if I had girlfriend issues or whatever, it was just <laughs> finding one of those guys riding up, asking, you know, life, life advice, and they were sharing it. And you know, by the time I got to the top, I, I was smarter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: So Mickey never get you on any free heel gear while you were up there? Never got you to telly?
1: <laughs> no, he, he tried quite a bit, but I think I, I was, my excuse was, you know, I'm training, I'm training for my level three. Gotta get my level three. Gotta get my level three. And, <laughs> um, and Mickey's done. He's such a, a cool character. And, and I'm sure you're asking about some stories and I, d- I don't have a ton because I, I was trying to think some more. And the, and the one that I remember is he definitely went back in the, it was like the early two thousands and they went to the back to Lillehammer in Norway. And I don't remember the whole story, but basically there, there was, there was like the ski jump from Lillehammer (laughs) picture of a nun. (laughs) And then some other stuff that's now like legal in Vermont, but at that point it was not. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all that I remember from the story, but I just remember that picture being ingrained in me of like, wow, you have a lot more life experience than I do. I don't know what I would have done, and that's <laughs> <laughs> Mickey has life experience, man.
0: It's fun to hang out with, and fun on the telly team. It's it's uh, been great. I've been able to ski with Mickey since the uh, got early mid nineties, and uh, been able to telly with him a lot on the telly Ed staff here in the east. And uh, but Mickey, you know, is is cool because he's he was Alpine Ed staff still, you know, and Nordic and uh, track skate in. Telemark and then um you know ace team big on the ace team out here the advanced children's educator.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh he's he's a great resource, and there's there's a lot of good Vermont resources in there. Um yeah, I
0: pick on Vermont up there, but they have some tree skiing and have some great off piece. I mean, Mike Began's up there at the Stowe and he just just talks about it. I haven't got up there to ski a lot with him. I wish I could, I've skied some of the stuff at Smuggs years ago with Mickey. Yeah. And then Sugar Bush is one of my favorites too.
1: Yeah. I think what they do so well in Smugs is in the summertime, a lot of the, the you know, the Monday through Friday full timers are also hiking guides. And I think they carry a lot of, you know, tools in their pack and they're, they're not really supposed to, but they're just like, eh, let's trim this here, let's trim this there, cut <laughs> yeah. this there. And that's what makes it so good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know there was a line over in that It's pretty clear. Does that, was that line there before? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always been there. Yeah. So, yeah. That's it. That's cool. So. I wanna kinda of go a little bit switch into summer before we go back into skiing because I wanna know how much that works into your where well, we're in summer right now. We're in our off season. You're into you're definitely a big bike guy, downhill bike yeah. out at snowmass. And um, you know, what I guess I don't know if everybody will know. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at snowmass in the summer?
1: Yeah. So I'm uh, you know, years ago, this is my eleventh year with the bike school. And uh, you know, eleven years ago it was Hey, do you want to run our bike program? And I'm like, sure. What do I have to do? <laughs> and they said, well, do you know how to ride a bike? And I'm like, yeah, I've ridden a bike before. <laughs> and So that first year I actually played a lot of uh, paintball because there was a camp program and, and paintball was one of the activities and I became like the paintball guy. But what was cool about it is I learned a lot about the uh, camp aspects and functions. And, and the very next year they actually built, they used a company that's based out of Whistler called Gravity Logic. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a, a company that built the Whistler trails that then spun off a consulting, you know, trail building company. Um, so they built a trail and then it's grown, you know, since then. So, so essentially I'm, you know, part of like a, a leadership team that just kind of runs the the bike school and, you know, downhilling, uh, sometimes, you know, people are like, well, what's that? Well, it's, it's lift serve mountain biking. However, there's, there's specific trails that are built for, To go downhill so the best example i have is it's kind of like the terrain park or the freestyle world of mountain biking so there's man-made features like jumps and wall rides and wooden bridges and rollers and things like that that you can you know go on a trail and kind of learn and then there's you know obviously like the dirt the rock the stones (laughs) things like that but when it's really manicured they call that more of a flow trail and that's they use a mini excavator to do that. So that's that bike park, you know, it started in 2010 here at Snowmass. Uh, it started with one trail and now it's, I think we're up to, or close to 15. I think we have 14. They're, they're building some this summer too. So, um, you know, it's, it's slowly been growing. And then last year, uh, COVID hit and biking, everybody fell You know, back in love with bikes and bikes are hard to come by. And it was insanely busy last year. And now it's, still pretty busy, but I think, you know, we were a little more prepared for it. So, uh, at least we, we were, we were doing some of that stuff and, and it's very similar to winter time, uh, just the equipment somewhat different, but all the coaches that I work with, you know, we talk a lot about decision-making and, uh, you know, how do you know if someone's ready? And there's actually, uh, there's a couple different organizations, but we partnered with the professional mountain bike Instructors Association or PMBIA and they, you know, run courses. Uh, They're, they're mostly based in Canada, but they bring a lot of the Canadian, you know, ski and snowboard instruction into it. So it's, it's very similar uh, to some of that stuff where they have different skills. And actually I just, I just finished one, uh, a level one. I, I've been able to, they've hired me as a course conductor, which is newer this year, but I just finished one actually, today. So we had six people in a level one course. It was three days long and uh, they were all successful. So that's very, that's very awesome. They all got better at riding. They all got better at guiding. They all got better at teaching uh, the fundamentals of mountain biking. So, and, and those according in that system, there's six of them. And so they talk about uh, position and balance as a fundamental funda- foundation, foundational skill, and then operations of controls. So that's braking or shifting gears. And then terrain awareness, you know, how do you look at terrain, those kind of things. And then direction control, pressure control, and timing and coordination. So those are the six skills, very similar <laughs> to yeah. some of the stuff that we talk about in the winter. Uh, so what, and, you know, Angela and I have been talking for, I
0: don't know, we're almost a year now, Angela. We're, when did we start? Probably October? I can't, we we'll have to look back. I can't remember if it was late September, or early October was our first podcast, but it was in that ballpark, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, but the thing we've been trying to promote a little bit, and that's what I want to maybe have you touch on is, you know, Angela's up there in uh, Michigan, you're on an island right now up there, aren't you? Uh,
2: yesterday, I'm in beautiful downtown Petoskey, Michigan right now.
0: There you go. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's up on a bike tour. They got folks out just kind of road biking it on, on a tour and trying to be active in the bikes there. And you have, you know, the downhill stuff how much can people just take from just getting on a bike and going on some of the easy trails you have? I mean, what can they transfer, um, to skiing? And, and can they, I mean, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Well, they, I mean, so the, the downhill, like, if you think about the lift, uh, and you think about going to gym, you can sometimes get more repetition to work on some of the skills by going to a bike park or a lift serve, you know, biking area. Um, what differentiates kind of a bike park is that, variety of like flow trails and technical trails. So maybe more roots and rocks and stuff like that, versus like a lift or biking would just be like, here's the lift. Here's a bunch of trails, you know, but the trail network might've been built years ago. And, you know, who knows what the maintenance is like and that kind of stuff. But the cool thing is that the sensations are pretty similar to, uh, you know, skiing, snowboarding, you know, kind of the freedom and the, uh, you know, the, the wing in your face kind of deal. Granted there is, uh, one major difference. I talk to people a lot about friction. There's a lot less of it in the in the wintertime, and there's a lot more of it in the summertime. So a lot of times in the the bike parks, you know, the, everybody's padded up, they're wearing full face helmets, that kind of stuff. So it looks like they're going to to battle. And a lot of people <laughs> ask us, you know, do we need all that stuff? And it's kind of like, well, we'll recommend it because we didn't we haven't seen you ride yet. But if you're a pretty decent rider, and maybe you don't need, you know, the full on jacket and all that stuff, but you know, in terms of skills it's it's you know riding a bike and going down the hill and you know you kind of need the cross-country fitness aspect of being able to climb and and being able to have that stamina but also if you need the downhill the descending skills so you can learn that quicker in a bike park um actually I know there's one in Northfield Highland bike park which might be close to you Dave that place is awesome I've heard it yeah that. I've heard I haven't gone but I've heard it's phenomenal yeah there mark mark Hayes I think is the owner he's He's quite a cool guy and has, you know, has figured out some stuff. Um, they're also cool too, because you basically bought an old dilapidated ski resort and then they have no winter operations. Yeah. So they just leave all their stuff up there. But, you know, I think in terms of skills, like you think about skiing and snowboarding, we'll use like the blue kind of intermediate groomed run example. When people get a little bit of skill skiing and snowboarding, they can kind of choose their own adventure, like where they want to go. On a mountain bike trail, there still are lines within the trail, but if the trail actually goes to the left, then you probably should go to the left. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> you're off the trail, you know, so the trails are kind of built and meander on purpose. And they're kind of built yeah. to more of this is the way the trail goes yeah. versus in the wintertime. It's, you know, here's the, the ski cut run. And I get to choose a little bit more where I want to go. Yeah. Um, but of course, there's always lines within everything. And it's just the margin of error is a little bit, narrower. So.
0: Yeah. Cause, cause Angela loves, you know, it's kind of your ecology thing, which, you know, you've talked about it that you don't like that title. Cause I don't think it's a good title either for that course we have. We have a, Angela created a course. That's kind of a, uh, Angela, why don't you describe it? And then my, my thing is I know that Angela wants to ask something about like the experiential or, yeah. you know, I think people can bring from the biking a little more than just the mechanical stuff. I mean, but Angela loves that stuff.
2: Those two questions, Dave. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how to describe that course. Let me come back to that one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, No, I'm, I'm curious, Kevin, like just in your head, when you're, um, when you're on snow, you have this, I'm assuming this flash of something from mountain biking that you're like, wow, I'm really glad I do that on the bike. Like what, what's your, what's your the most effective thing you transfer from biking to make you a better skier?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I think on the, on the bike, you know, sometimes the the speeds can be a little bit higher, but, um, you know, in the bike, you have a front wheel and you have a rear wheel and you can kind of interplay how they work together. Um, with skis, you know, you're, you're fixed on, them. mean, you got two of them, but you're just your orientation is a little different. So I think for me, like the biggest thing that I transfer over winter to summer is that, you know, in the learning aspect, whether you're trying to, you know, do something, you know, how do you figure it out and how do you like learn (laughs) how to do that? I think the the biggest kind of carryover is that whole idea of like angulation and inclination crosses over pretty well in terms of you can angulate or tip the bike, you know, more than your body. Mm -hmm. You can do that or you can, you know, incline the bike too. And if you have a bike park that has these berms that are built up. You know, then you can kind of get away with some more of that inclination pieces of the puzzle. So that those are some skills that I'll definitely transfer over. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a little bit higher than, you know, our basic yeah. rider, but if they have a ski background, a lot of that stuff will make sense. There are some body positions that are a little different with that because of how the bike moves and how it tracks and how the cornering knobs kind of work and everything. But, uh, but it's, there's a crossover there where when you, when you get it right, and just thinking about like a ski turn and if you get the ski turn, right. And, and you kind of load it up, you can actually manage the pressure so that you accelerate, like out of the turn, you know, Yeah. yeah. and do that on a bike too. And that's like the sensation that's like, oh man, I, I did it, you know? And then, oh no, there's another one, you know, <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta react pretty quickly. So those are some of the skills that definitely transfer over and, um, you know, you can learn and and go back and forth. So it's, it's a nice compliment. It's one of those things where it's a funny story that I've kind of just fallen into the biking, Mm -hmm. but no one was really telling me how to do stuff. And truthfully at snowmass, I didn't really know what a bike park was until I went to winter park, which they branded their bike park as trestle. And when I got over there and they had these tabletop jumps and step up jumps and gap jumps and things like that, I was like, Oh, (laughs) kind of like a terrain park, but for bikes, Cool. (laughs) Um, that's like the easiest way to kind of explain, you know, a bike, a bike park. So.
2: It's interesting. You say that eh? the inclination and angulation bit, I had a, um, COVID conversation with Jeb Boyd last summer, we're both kind of locked down and, you know, I, I don't even remember why we were talking, but we started to talk about mountain biking and, um, the idea of like, say a berm shot where you're, you're, turning to the right yeah. you put the right foot forward, you know, the pedals are level, but the right foot's in front. Yeah. And then a lot of times it's very easy on a bicycle to get used to having one foot forward. So it just becomes your go-to. But when you do a berm shot or, or you make a turn to the left and switching feet, putting the left foot forward, and then it mimics a ski position a little bit more and just having that um, reminder over the summer months, Transfers to the winter months easily. biking is a great, and I think mountain biking in particular is like, is a great, uh, correlation to, to scale. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's all, you know, and it depends on what kind of bike you're riding, if you have suspension or, or not, but a lot of the jumping is all about, you know, how do you actually manage like the, here's a, here's a berm and how do you manage the pressure through the berm? And then here's a jump. How do you manage the pressure through the jump so that then you can get your bike to do an arc like this. You know, so it's like, just just the timing and the coordination takes a little bit more time for for jumping specifically. You know, but there's there's a whole lot of forces (laughs) going on out there, and then just how are they affecting? You know, you got a front wheel, you got a rear wheel, are both of them touching? You know, the ground (laughs) Mm -hmm. is one touching the ground. You know, those kind of things. So there's things you can do with your body and you know stuff like that. The
2: and playing around with different tire pressures, like mimics playing around with different tunes. You know, so yeah, exactly. And Dave and I have talked about this a lot. And I I think this is kind of what he's alluding to. Um the the more you do, the more you do in your life generally with movement-based activities, the more you see the crossovers with the others. You know, and, and 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 it's not obviously exact correlations, but it's it's close enough that as you do it more and become more skilled. I think you get better kind of exponentially at all of them at the same time, you know, cause they're, cause it's one body, like the, even though the gear is different, you're still operating it with the same body. And I think you essentially what happens is you learn yourself better. Yeah. Oh, apply, apply that to the gear.
1: Yeah. And, and biking's so funny. Cause I mean, like mountain biking it's been around since like the like kind of eighties, you know, and started in California. So, we're still somewhat in the, like the wild, wild west of mountain bike certification and what makes sense and those kind of things. So we talk a lot about in the bike school, you know, trade-offs, you know, so here's like a great example, you know, do you ride clipped in or do you ride on flats, which have like spiky pedals and, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. So like with clips, you sometimes you get more pedal efficiency because you're clipped in and so when you actually pull up on the pedal, you know, you can actually use different muscles to kind of do that um with flats some of the advantages are like where you actually put your foot can be you know if I'm not if I'm riding in a downhill park I'm descending most of the time sometimes I don't really need to pedal it doesn't mean that pedaling's not important what it means is like I need to be in a gear where if I need a little extra speed I can I can get that and have that acceleration so that I can make it over or clear you know a jump but I can actually play with where my foot's placed and actually move it up a little bit which then just helps stack of my bones, and it's almost like I take a taller, taller stance, and when I do that, I can ride in the bike park all day. If I don't do that, my calves are pretty tired, um, my my quads are pretty tired, and I'm pretty tired <laughs> at the end of the day. So it's something like simple as that of, you know, what, what kind of pedals do you ride? But they make a big difference, especially in the biking world. So are
0: you switching pedals, or do you have more than one bike? So you have one bike with the flats and one
1: with the clips? <laughs> um you, you can never have too many bikes that's <laughs> um just like you can never have you know too many pairs of skis uh but no i, I have one bike and i actually ride flats i, I do have clips that sometimes yeah. if we're going on cross country ride, i may do that but i've also learned how to pedal um you know more efficiently with my flat pedals so i prefer them now no. <laughs> so I'm very much a flat pedal guy I've, I've been clips forever and I just I just put flats on
0: because one of my buddies is but wanted me to he's like just switch back and forth but you want to try them and so yeah. I'm giving him a shot so I've been riding them. I've only been riding them for probably a couple of weeks nice. but it it is different when I I mean I've been riding clips forever and then to go to flats. Yeah. It is, it- <laughs> My foot moves.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes it falls right off the pedal. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, yeah. okay, that usually doesn't happen. So,
0: yeah. or oh, the uh, pedal
2: hits you in the shin.
0: Oh yeah, I haven't I haven't had yeah. quite that yet. But uh, I it'll, know it'll happen.
2: Kevin, can can I put you on the spot to talk about that foot placement thing again? Because that 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 to me is really interesting. Mm. Like there, I hear folks at, at the home hill say yeah ski on the ball of your foot. I hear people say ski dead on the center, and then the heel was very taboo, but what well, you know yeah. but I per I, I try to use my heel a lot quite you know I, there's a lot of power coming out of the heel um
1: you mean like when you're pedaling or you're you're running I'm,
2: I'm talking about on skis like there's oh, yeah. oh, you yeah. know in skiing, there's a lot of power coming yeah. from the heel. Yeah, yeah. So, but but the question was like, what what have you? What's your takeaway in skiing from the foot placement on the pedal thing in the summer? Because that that's yeah. you don't have an opportunity to really move your foot because you're clipped into the bindings on the skis, but you can right. apply pressure in different places. So did, yeah. you take some of that to your skiing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, one of the big things that's changed in my skiing is a lot of times, you know, people talk about like, get forward, get forward, get forward. And so I would do that, but if I had too much pressure on the tip of the ski, especially like the end of the turn, it would just, the tail would just break away. Like it wouldn't actually follow the tip. So what I've been playing a little bit with is actually like moving it back and not so much like being, you know, in the back seat or whatever, but just like kind of like backing off like the ankle, like I need, to kind of like let go or like release the pressure towards the end of the turn, because if I don't, then I have no place to move forward to. And that was like a big, um, opening kind of moment. It actually, it happened two, two years ago. I had an opportunity to ski with, um, Tom Gelly. I don't know if you know him from big picture skiing. He's they got a website, big picture skiing, and he's, um, you know, a coach and he just happened to be in Aspen and he was doing some, uh, you know, some talks and some clinics and those kind of things. So I took one run with him and that was it just one run with him. And he's, he's like, I think you have some four aft issues going on. And I go, okay, can you tell me what they are? <laughs> no, he's like,
2: no, no, that's all you get.
1: <laughs> no, He's like, he's like, no, but that's because he has on his website, he actually has some content of like online videos of, mm. of some instructional videos. And, and so I watched, you know, one and it was one of those moments of like, oh, oh yeah of course (laughs) you know (laughs) here i am trying to get forward at the the end of the turn uh which isn't you know a bad thing but the problem is i was too far forward there was too much right and so i didn't have i i couldn't i couldn't go to a place where then i had to have to do something else you know maybe stand up tall and then you know go the other way so what's what's happened in that is i could control uh almost like how the skis exit the turn a little bit control the pressure better uh, that has been built up and, you know, in some ways get some deflection out of the ski. A lot of other people like can sometimes talk about it as like gliding. So we get more glide between, you know, from one turn to the other, mm-hmm. um, but I would totally think about it for aft, you know, yeah. full on for aft realm. <laughs>
2: I I'm a I'm a clipped in guy like Dave I've been clipped in since the mid 90s and that thought of riding platforms like scares me a little bit frankly because I, I just remember from being like eight and sticking your pedal through your shin bone. but but I love what you're saying and I think my takeaway from what you're saying is like it's in both biking and skiing it's situational it's like on the bike okay um I'm going to move to the middle of my foot because my calves and quads are getting really tired and I don't need to be on my toes right now. Yeah. But then when you do need to be on your toes, you go there. And it's a similar yeah. mentality in skiing. It's like, okay, I need to be forward in this situation. Yeah. Okay. I need to be a little bit more back on the foot in this situation. And you and learning that is a real pivotal moment for a skier
1: you know, Yeah. And a, and a biker. Right. You know, it's, it's a, uh... The pedal placement and everything and if you wear you know a certain kind of shoes like a 510 or, or ride concepts or different things out there that like are specific for flats and then you can get some spiky you know pedals <laughs> that have you know the spikes and and that 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 rubber will actually work and it will feel kind of like you're you're clipped in even when you're not but um you know Angelo to your point it's like yeah you definitely get like pedal bite you know if it gets you in the shin or gets you in the in the calves um I, I wear i actually ride prefer to ride in pants these days because of that <laughs> so <if I'm> <laughs> pants, i just cruise but um you know like the, the riding pants but yeah it, it's it's situational it, it depends and that's like the classic answer of even like even out today it was like people were asking me questions and it was like well it, it really does depend but that's not the best answer so sometimes you have to give it like a like a baseline so some so tire pressure is a great example of that right like what tire pressure would you wanna ride at? Well, it depends, it depends on the weight of the rider and that kind of thing. So it's more like, well, what's a good baseline? Well, a good baseline would be something like 25, and we're talking more mountain biking here, right? So mountain bike specific, but like 25 PSI would be a good baseline. I actually do 24 in the front, 26 in the back. So like, what's the advantage? Well, if there's more tire pressure, it's gonna roll faster but it won't absorb or you can't use like the tire as a little bit of suspension because it deforms a bit. So what's some advantages of riding with a lower tire pressure, it actually grips more. It deforms a little bit. It can take, you know, some of the, those hits from the rocks, whatever, and it, it won't get, you know, bounced around as much, but you have to be going a little bit faster. It may not roll over some of that stuff. So it depends on, on what you're trying to do and, you know, it depends on the bike. Like I have a fat tire bike and I'll run that at like 12 PSI because it's 4.8, you know, it's, it's wide and it's got studs and it goes uphill and it's awesome. It goes everywhere. (laughs) So
2: I do, we do want to talk teaching later, but I I agree with you about um, that answer that it depends. It feels like a generic answer, but I think it, it actually shows a level of depth and experience and patience on the part of the teacher because then a good teacher does exactly what you just described it's like well it depends and here's how it applies in these situations but right. i think sometimes newer teachers or less experienced teachers become real rigid with their answers and they're like nope you got to be on the ball of your foot get on the ball of your foot close your ankle keep your ankle closed well, of course that's not you know that doesn't right. work in every situation
1: yeah no, exactly. It's like the the skiing example is like you know someone told me to get forward, so I thought you know just jamming my ankle everywhere would be great, yeah. and there was no there was no place for me to get to move forward to right. So I had to. I'm not saying like I went you know I like I went you know back like I didn't go back you know it's like I don't you know at the end of the turn just be back that's that's great you know like no 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 <laughs> but what I'm trying to do is actually back off like the front of the boot so that then I can move into it so I can time the pressure better. Um, and that's really helped me out significantly. <laughs> People are yeah. like, wow, you're skiing a lot differently. And I'm like, yeah, some, someone told me something that really clicked for me, you know, and it's not to say someone didn't tell me that sooner, but it just resonated in a different way than anyone else had ever, you know, talked to me about it. So
2: you want access to your joint movement, right? Yeah. I and mean, it's yeah, exactly. ultimately what it is. I, I remember one of my, one of my most influential very early mountain bike lessons was from a, a local around seven springs named jeff Werther. he's been biking for years and we were on a ride on our local trails and i said something about my shock and he looked at me and he said your knees and your elbows are your best shock absorbers he's like you got to bend your parts and i was like oh that was like just hadn't occurred to me you know and I thought, <laughs> wow like okay <laughs> yeah simple good you know? yeah
0: well, and that's the piece you, you mentioned something Angela there that I do want, I definitely want you and Kev to chat about, cause I always love when Angela gets in these teaching conversations is that, um, you know, we look at our learning connection model and, and what you, the two, you two guys were just talking about when, you know, we kind of brought up the flat pedals and, and where you can stand on the flat pedal and then experimenting, ooh, there's the word with, um, you know, either flats or clips, um, is, you know, look at our learning connection model and, and the play and experimentation and, and is one of our fundamentals on there. You know, how, how important is it, do you think that um, people use that and a lot of the things they do and how they can bring, maybe it's just even the philosophy of they're experimenting on bikes, do the same thing on, because people get so rigid when they're on skiing with us. I need to be in this one spot. You know, and so yeah, I think that's some of Angel's. Angel's probably got a better question, but or a better thought, but it's like, you know, how do you think you play around with your teaching components during the summer that you bring to skiing in the winter, that component wise?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. I mean, I think actually, um, it's kind of cool because in the PMB PMBIA system, they actually have this idea progression, and in the idea progression, it's like introduce and develop that idea a little bit and actually experiment with it and then go apply it so what does that mean so you got like uh i don't know we use like uh you know like a level lift which is like different than a bunny bunny hop like a bunny hop would actually be like you're kind of like everybody always confuses that but like a level lift would be like both tires just like going like this (laughs) like level lifting both of them go at the same time a bunny hop is like front tire rear tire (laughs) it's like more like an ollie right but like you introduce the kind of the concept, you have to learn how to compress some of the suspension. You might develop it by like adding, you know, a stick of like, when when do you do it? Um, you might develop it some more, like adding some speed. And then you might experiment by like doing some, you know, different timing. You could even do some more speed, but different heights, or you might put like the stick, like, okay, can you level lift over it? <laughs> Cause that's kind of the application on the trail. Like, do you need, to do something to get both wheels over something at the same time so they they have some of that stuff and i think i think it's it's cool because the whole learning connection uh piece of the puzzle is you know we're still we we've always talked about great teaching we've talked about people's skills but you know how do we train those and we're working on it and we can do that um, but we've sometimes been better not better but i mean we've been more focused in the technical you know, arena, <laughs> you know, kind of that classic example of like someone hiring somebody for ski school where I want to hire good people. Right. And then we'll just teach them how to ski or snowboard better. Uh, but you know, it's like, what define what good people, what does that mean? <laughs> right. And, and that, that's the exciting part that I think, you know, is, is something that I'm looking forward to of, of now we have some fundamentals. So how can we train towards that? How can we, Understand that some more, but you know, in summertime mountain biking, being relatively young compared to skiing, uh, we are experimenting (laughs) all the time. You know, and the and the best example of that is, uh, I think in two thousand, I think it was two thousand fifteen, I had an opportunity to go to this National Skiers Association mountain bike summit was all about mountain biking and it was the first time they ever had it. So there was always these industry conferences where biking was a segment, you know, of summer operations, but it wasn't the main focus. And I just remember all these Western resorts talking about the same thing. Like our trails are so long. Our trails are so long. Like they're so long. It's so hard to get, you know, people down them. It just takes, you know, forever, that kind of thing. And in the East, actually Highland bike park, you know, Northfield, New Hampshire, the owners talking about i'm just like it's all private land around me i need to buy more land so i can expand so his trail network wasn't like big enough and ours was like too big so i started thinking there, there's got to be a better way there's got to be some shorter trails so finally last year they actually built some shorter trails and if people haven't been to snowmass there's a there's a gondola up to kind of this mid-mountain you know bench and that's where our beginner area is it's actually at Ten thousand feet. It's you know graded and it's not super steep. And we've we've built some some quarter of a mile beginner trails. One's kind of a, a blue. I mean, it's really like a turquoise. It's 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 green, but it's got blue features, so it's blue. <laughs> um, but that is something that I think you know this year we're seeing more success and people you know love it. And before. Uh, people were calling me all the time to get a shuttle here, get a shuttle there, get a shuttle over here. You know, they're always looking for the easier kind of, as you think about a mountain, um, any of the trails that kind of traverse or contour the mountain are easier because they're not going up and down. Anything that goes straight up and down, you know, a mountain is going to be a pretty brutal climb or it's going to be a pretty, you know, fast descent. So um, that's something that it's it's pretty cool where it's like, well, we're still learning. And even the infrastructure we're still learning about. So it's neat. He's thinking, he, he leaned
0: back. He's thinking.
2: <laughs> I was thinking about this chair that I'm in. Can you hear it creaking?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought that was you.
2: Not what? Well, it's probably my <laughs> <laughs> I'm in this beautiful hotel, the Perry Inn in Petoskey. It was established in 1899. <laughs> I think this is the original chair. <laughs> 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 so I apologize. Um, no, I was uh, I was thinking about your question, Dave. It was a good question. Um, the experimentation part. And sometimes I think um, it's just it's a matter of. Well, I I think it's very much a matter of of framing. Like even the word instruction and the word teaching versus versus some saying like experimenting together. You know what I mean? Like when you set things up in a way that um isn't so top down in you know say in ski instruction for example and you get used to that we're going to experiment together because i i don't know all these answers you know but like you then take that mentality into something like mountain biking or road biking or skateboarding or wakeboarding or stand up paddleboarding or whatever and then it just becomes like try this try this what happened i don't you know try it again it's more collegial but i think on the part of the Student, they've way more ownership in it, you know. So that you can have an experience like Kevin's describing. It's like, oh, I'm on the, I'm on the center of my foot now in this in this bike park. But then, you know, three months later or whatever, five months later, it's like, oh, I'm going to use the center of my foot on this bump run because that's the, what the pitch demands, you know. And um I think that's what you're asking, Dave, right? Like, yeah, well, it's yeah, the mentality it's a... of experimentation or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, for me, I look at like. I go biking is definitely a fitness thing as Kevin was saying, you know, we all look for that fitness thing during the summer and how can we create things in our life that it just happens by the things we're doing versus having to go to the gym. Cause Angelo loves the gym, by the way, Kevin, him and I want to go to the gym every day.
2: <laughs> Going after this call. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's um, I think people You know, don't realize if they get out like and get on rollerblades, when I get on the mountain bike, they um, I I guarantee like, what are some of the other things you probably do some other things you probably go? I mean, if you don't go hiking, you're in Colorado, I'd be shocked. Right. Um, You know, what are some of the other activities that you might not do for training per se, but what are some of the fun outdoor physical type stuff you do during the summer or off months?
1: Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of biking that I don't have much time to do other stuff, but, I, but I mean, um, I, I used to go to the gym, but I don't think I was that efficient at it. You know, I would just like bring my phone, check a lot of emails and I would like, maybe <laughs> that stuff. And then I felt like I you know, felt better. Cause I like went to the gym, but I, but I probably did the same like routine or circuit or whatever that I learned in high school and yeah. so right. that stuff. So with uh, with COVID, actually, it forced me to learn how to do some stuff at at home, and so there's like a lot of online, you know, there's different things out there. But there's one company called, you know, Beachbody, and they they own all these different ones. But like P90X is a good one in there, and it actually had a lot of you know yoga and Pilates and things like that that I've never done, and then realized, wow, I'm not very flexible at all. <laughs> at all, period. <laughs> and so when, you know, COVID kind of hit and the whole shutdown hit, you know, in March of 2020, it was one of those things where it was, wow, maybe I should be doing this uh, more often and and doing it from home. So I wasn't traveling to and from the gym, but, you know, we, my in-laws have a, a really awesome place on a lake in Pennsylvania, in the Poconos, Lake Juan Paul Pack. Yeah. So I'll try to go wakeboarding there and um, you know, Colorado has a lot of lakes and, and rivers, but they're very cold <laughs> water. So I like going, you know, and doing some of that stuff. But, you know, there's definitely hiking to be had, um, you know, climbing. There's there's tons of different things to do. I like the fact, Dave, what you were talking about is like, you know, doing these activities of instead of, you know, working out, you're just yeah doing it <laughs> yeah. um but you know in terms of my fitness i found like that at home stuff is is definitely like a like a covid keeper you know because it just saves time and and i can get them in and usually I try to wake up before my family wakes up and just you know get a workout in and then and then i feel like i'm I, I did something that day and everything i do on top is just you know kind of a bonus yeah. so so you ride a lot
0: when you're at work obviously um do you ride separate of that and do you road ride or ride other than just the mountain bike stuff or
1: yeah so um in the summer i pretty much ride in the bike park like way too much and uh i am trying to ride a little more cross country the fall is awesome because then we shut down for we we go to weekends instead of like after labor day we just go to weekends friday saturday sunday so during the week, I have a lot more time to ride. And that's like my favorite time to ride because, um, granted, you know, Aspen is, is awesome in Colorado is really cool in the fall, but the Aspen leaves turn only like different shades of, of yellow. And so I do miss a little bit of the Vermont and the Northeast of like every different color, you know, out there in the fall, it's definitely, I think a, a nice neat experience, but in the fall is definitely my favorite time to kind of ride. And then, uh, pretty soon, you know, a basin or Loveland. They always fight. It's like a, I always think of it as like a nuclear arms race. Like who's gonna, who's gonna open first. You know, so I would always call it like the great snowmaking race to see who would open and, and then they open in October. And so we can actually be on snow pretty, pretty early here. Um, and and something in earlier on my career, the past couple of years, I I have, haven't gone there in a few years, but I did go in October to, um, Austria, I would go to race camps because I was not very good at racing and, uh, I would get my butt kicked by nine-year-olds from Poland and <laughs> I would just ride up the T the bar with them. And we're working on the course and they don't even have, you know, some, sometimes they would time us and, you know, this nine-year-old fronic is just like, oh. You're pretty bad <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> great thanks. yeah thanks for the encouragement and oh, um, you know but it, but it, I did some of those things in the fall that was that was always I love that time of uh skiing because it it's like just you know it, it it was on really firm snow um and it just like gave me a little you know like head start to the season but uh something else we we should maybe mention is i, I before the biking, I used to do the the back to back winter, so I spent some time. Yeah. In Australia, Perisher blue, and i I studied abroad in New Zealand, so I kind of saw that ski industry a little bit. and then um and then I spent three seasons in Argentina. So I, I went to Las Lagas and I had spent some time there. and uh, it was awesome. I didn't I was definitely the the gringo guy, and you know, didn't know any Spanish or I had hmm. convinced the guy to hire me the general manager guy to hire me with four years of high school spanish and that first year I learned a lot of Spanish. And the second year I was definitely better because I was like, oh, I know this code that they're talking now. And in the third year, my Spanish was pretty good. And you know, now it's pretty horrible. But, <laughs> but <laughs> it was it was a neat experience just to go to some other places and and so like to ask, you know, what do you do to stay in shape? Well, I, I skied year round <laughs> for a couple <laughs> <Hard> of years.
0: Hard <laughs> to get out of hard to get out of shape when you're skiing year round. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. So um Switching gears a touch here that um, I want, I want to touch on one of the skills I know that you are going to bring to the team because I've been told this by others and I already knew you had a little bit of this skill and a lot more than I knew about that. um, You're pretty involved in writing. I mean, I know you've been involved with the freestyle manual um, for PSA Aussie and also with the, was it the tech manual? You were one of the three on that, right? Am I correct there?
1: Yeah. The, um, Yeah, writing is pretty interesting because I, you know, I didn't go to school for it or anything, but when I was in school, I had to write a lot to, you know, basically get good grades. (laughs) You know, it was like you write a paper and you submit that and that kind of stuff. So, um, so I've been involved with, uh, yeah, the Alpine Tech Manual. Um, There was a bunch of, you know, when Ellen Post Foster and Rob Sogard were involved with it, I had essentially written some of the movement analysis uh, chapters and and that was something that you know early on in my career it was kind of like every division was kind of doing it differently and it doesn't it wasn't like the end of the world but no one could really tell me like what their process was you know and then i think PSA Rocky Mountain did a good job of kind of trying to put it together and create mm-hmm. some filters and some pieces like that but other um i think we're getting better uh, with that but that kind of started down the path of you know i started writing magazine articles for 32 degrees because um or at that time as the professional skier because uh, you could and you could submit ideas and if they liked them they took them and they would make them sound even better than what you submitted (laughs) and then they would pay you for it and i was like great like a lot of ski instructors do have you know second jobs and those kind of things and and how my season worked is i had about six months in in aspen and and my wife went to, she was in nursing school. So she was actually based in Denver. So a lot of times in May and October in those kind of shoulder seasons, I would just do a lot of magazine articles and pitch different ideas and write stuff that I thought would be cool or well received. And a lot of times some of the movement analysis articles I wrote for 32 degrees was all about how can I help someone, you know, get better at that process? What have I done, you know, in my process? to get better at it, how can you practice it? Because, um, yeah, I'm actually stoked that we're using zoom now because you can share the screen and you can pull up a skier and and you can have movement analysis sessions. And it actually makes more sense to do it (laughs) that way. That's another one of those COVID keepers. But the, the writing, you know, has always been there a little bit and that, you know, just, just like anything, it's a progression where, you know, some people are like, Hey, would you want to write the freestyle technical manual? And I was like, sure never written a manual before. That'd be cool. And uh, then you see like what that project entails. And then uh, that has now blossomed a little bit into the children's manual. And there's a lot of people, really good people in there. Stacey Garrish, Dusty Dyer, um, another Vermonter, Mark Aiken. And essentially we were taking some of the foundational pieces of that and then rewriting it. And then, uh, you know, we had a, a pretty decent prototype and and then we needed to rewrite that again and so for me writing is definitely a, a process um but the thing that i love about it is that you can put your thoughts down you can think about it you can step away from it and then have some time to go back to it so there's a lot of reflection pieces you know in between it it's not uh, my writing style is not you know do it late at night and try to submit it you know it's, it's two o'clock in the morning that's that's when i work best no i still might work best at that time but you know it's it's i need to Kind of think through it a little bit more. So, the most recent thing has been the children's uh, manual, and that we're, we're hoping I, th- I, th- I think it's going to happen this fall. It's going to come out, so um, pretty excited about that. And the writing—I'll tell you a, a quick story. But it, there's a lot of credit here to my mom because she was my my first uh, editor and really helped me understand a lot about. English language and grammar and that kind of stuff. So a lot of times she would, sit you know, we would sit down and we would discuss something that I had written in high school or even, or even like sometimes I would still use her a little bit in in college. Uh, <laughs> but the interesting thing about it was, you know, there were times that I was just like, wow, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, or she, would, you know, but she forced me to think through. Well, what are you really trying to say? Like, how are you trying to say it? And really think through what does that look like, and and what can you write it? How can you make it clearer? So and learn from an early age of the editing process and, you know, behind every good writer, there's actually a better editor. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, I'm excited, you know, for, have a couple ideas. Um, oh, that's, that's, that, that, that's kind of what I was going to ask. That's next
0: yeah. is um, you know, you get the kids thing and I know that's probably taking up a lot of time of writing, but I mean, is, is there a, couple thoughts or is there ideas of things that you're like, I really would like to work on this. This is something I'd like to drop and go, boom, this was something I did on the team. Yeah.
1: Hopefully get out there to the educational world. Um, So one of the challenges with the children's manuals, there's so many different disciplines. Uh, So what, you know, so there's two options. Either you can include all the discipline specific stuff, and then make the manual huge. (laughs) Or you can talk more about the kids, you know, in general, you know, how, how is some of this stuff going to help children's instructors or adult instructors or, you know, private lesson, you know, anyone, but understand kids better and how does that actually work? So one of the things that I'm interested in and definitely excited about is you know, this whole idea of there used to be this little handbook, Uh uh, a teaching handbook. And so one Thought it's actually rebranding that a little bit. So it's like a field guide and the field guide would be more, it's not like the bag of tricks and every single exercise that you could do, but what, why would you choose this one over this one? And how does that relate with some of the like technical, the, the fundamentals of, of skiing, you know, mm-hmm. to be like Alpine specific. So there's, there's some opportunities there that I think we're going to tr- attempt to see how that's going to go. Um, that's one kind of a precursor. I mean, ideally, in an ideal world, we were going to try to launch the manual and that together, but create more of a template for other disciplines. So telemark could do the same thing and snowboard could do the same thing, but just uh, do it, you know, differently. So it's more of, you know, I think of that field guide of like a, a instructor in the tr- literally in the trenches and be like, I don't know what to do next. You know, I don't know what to do next. And they like flip to it. And they're like, Oh, you could do a a thumper term and that would help you achieve this, this, and this, you know, depending on your students and something like that, it wouldn't be that cookie cutter. It, would still have to read the situation a little bit, but give you some sense of here's something that could help and here's why it would help. So
0: I'm,
1: I'm looking forward
0: to, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I'm going to kind of plant the seed and see if Angelo tags on here or anything. But, um, that, you know, on the team, I'm wondering if there's going to be some things that come up, you go, man, I wish I had thought right from the beginning. So I'm putting in there now, like thinking about your experience on the team and just, I don't know, there could be not a memoir, but more of like when you're in your second term or, you know, when you're done your second term, you have a book you put out going, this is kind of my thoughts on skiing or experiences
1: I had through my ski teaching. Is that something you've thought about? uh not i had thought about it a little differently in terms of maybe a little bit of like a blog okay oh that's important i thought a little bit about that because i know that um you know people can use social media to you know say hey you know i'm excited to go to you know national academy or you know master's academy and pro jam Killington, Killington this year. Is that where it's yeah. At? Yeah.
0: We're hoping you're there. We have a yeah. question here for you in a few seconds. We're gonna, well, not really a question. We're just going to yeah. tell you, you're going to have to do something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, so that's a, so that's something that I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. Well, in a social media post, I'm not going to tell you like everything and you know everything about it, but in a blog post, you have that capability to explain a little bit more of like the experience of like before, during and after. And what I realized is, you know, because i have been <laughs> this wasn't my first try this this thing <laughs> right i've known other people on on the team and have you know followed some of their their posts and and what they've been doing and you know i know that some people like to live you know vicariously and and that might be a different way uh to kind of yeah. kind of do it you know um, and i think that'd be
0: cool because i i mean i think that's people would love to like the more and more stuff that came out i mean that's why i thought it was cool to have the the team announced just on YouTube. That yeah. it was something we could see where we'd all be waiting for the phone calls or the text, or, you know, we didn't, we got to see it live. Yeah. And, um, you know, like Interski to, to have more coming out, even if it was a day late, but like to have more kind of chronologically versus, well, you hear about yeah. this stuff in the fall and it's now like March <laughs> um, would yeah. be cool. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, you were talking about the, yeah. Cause it's, it was a few tries and this is definitely something that I wanted to kind of put towards the end of our podcast with you that you, you have put a ton in. you never gave up um, for folks out there that don't know you, this was your fourth yep. attempt to make the team and did. Yeah. And you never, I don't know if it was a, you know, that I or in uh, even a couple of discussions you and I've had you, you were, it was the, I was on the prize all the time. Even after each failed attempt, you were like, okay, what do I need to do for the next one? And, and there's some cool things you did in there over these, those three times before this fourth one was the charm. I think you called it the fourth, the charm instead of the third. Yeah. Um, yeah, What were were a couple of the, the interesting things, most people probably haven't done to try to get better.
1: Yeah. Kind of funny. Right. right, right. No, I think, um, you know, for me, I started early and, and, to back up a little bit you know i didn't even know about the national team until 2003 and at this point i had already been a member since 1996-97 and it was, really was dave miriam at Stowe that in my college career he was the best public speaker no offense to my you know professors and all the the teaching assistants you know but there was something about dave that was different and you know, i, I kind of afterwards i asked him you know i was like man, why are you so, how are you so good at public speaking? And he's like, well, I do it a lot. And I go, okay, where, where here at Stone? He's "No, I'm coach of this national team. "Uh, Okay. What is that? (laughs) And then he explained more as to what it was and how he was a coach and that kind of thing. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. So I was like, okay, I need to finish um, school first. So I, so I did that. And uh, luckily enough, I, I landed um in aspen snowmass i landed in snowmass and i had my level three at that that time so i could be full time and in some ways that kind of fast-tracked me to becoming a trainer uh in aspen snowmass because of course i was like how do i get better that way so let me do that and became a trainer became a kid's trainer first uh freestyle trainer second and then finally (laughs) an alpine trainer third had a lot more experience teaching kids so i could do a lot of really great you know this is how we teach kids clinics and things like that and i was young enough to kind of get into some of the freestyle realm where i was young and didn't have as much you know fear or <laughs> you know i was 22 years old yeah okay i'll learn how to fly the rail okay i'll go off that big jump no problem what do i need to do just go fast okay great um you know those are some of the things that I, that i could do and Through the course the process it it helped refine you know what what do i want to do and actually the first um like the first attempt i was kind of trying to figure out there were three things that i i was exploring to see whether i could be one was could i be a professional skier you know like sponsored by you know companies and and just do some of that stuff so i actually entered a big mountain contest uh did pretty horribly and it wasn't didn't really want to go off you know, like off a of cliffs because i had to show up to line up the next day so that, that really that dream was over pretty quick um yeah. the other thought that i had was maybe i should become a ski guide and i i did uh all my avalanche certifications realized you know in colorado the snowpack's pretty unstable so if you go in the backcountry pretty much everything slides uh here in colorado other places are are different yeah. and then i did my AMGA ski guides course Hadn't had done a lot of skiing year round, so I hadn't really had a lot of exposure to rock climbing. And to be a, a you know a really good mountain guide, there's a lot of climbing background and you know how to do rescues and that kind of stuff. So I learned that pretty quick. Whereas, I, like, I don't know if this is for me. So that kind of helped me eliminate some other ideas of what I wanted to do and really focus in on the team. And I I think for me, I had the plan. You know, I was going to make it on the team. I was going to travel all around. And I was going to settle down, have some kids, you know, get married, have some kids. Mm. And I did everything completely backwards. So I got married, had some kids, had attempted for some some tries. And what I learned through that process was, you know, I had started early, but I knew I was... I kept coming back and I kept getting, you know, a little bit closer, a little bit better. You know, in 2012, I think, you know, Earl uh, Saline was still in... Uh, in PSIA, now he works for the NSA, but he, I remember tracking him down and being like, okay, so there was 42 of us. This is back in 2012. It was at Snowbird and you took 11. So was I like number 12 or was (laughs) I number like 42? Because like knowing that would, would help. (laughs) And he looks at me and he goes, well, take this with a grain of salt. You were in like the bottom of the top third. So I go, okay, well, so I divided 42 by three, that's 14. I was like, so it's 14. And I looked at him and, you know, best Jim Carrey impression and dumb and dumber. And I go, so you're telling me there's a chance, there's a chance. I might make it. <laughs> and, uh, he just starts laughing. And so it was one of those things where I think, you know, I, I, I never gave up and, uh, and, it, and it did, and I learned a lot in the process and, and some of the, you know, best advice was, it was actually more for me, probably some of the obstacles were overcoming some things, you know, in myself, right. Cause you go to this selection process and, oh, am I good enough? Oh, can I hang, can I hang? Oh, there's such great skiers. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's happening that you're, you are actually not helping yourself. You know get better at um overcoming some of those things so i think that's like one of the one of the key things and i also remember you know after they had done some selections there was this one moment of like oh man like you know wouldn't it be such a great story that you know i made it on the first try and then i thought about it that was like a fleeting moment and i was like no because i'm i am that poster child now for that level two or that level one who's trying to get to their level two trying to get to level three. And it's, you know, if you don't give up and if you you may have to change some things or some ideas, you may have to think about it differently. And what probably helped me the most was the fact that, you know, when when COVID hit, which don't get me wrong, is a horrible thing. My wife is a nurse. I saw it firsthand of, you know, the medical community of the toll it was taken on them. But there was so much out of our control that I was thinking, well, what can I control? And what I can control is And all the time I've been doing this, they've never postponed it. I've never had an extra year, you know, given to me. And at that point, we didn't really know if we had an extra year or not. Um, But they just, but we knew we weren't trying out in April of 2020. And later on, you know, a couple of weeks later, we finally found out that the game plan was, okay, we're going to postpone everything a year. And so I said, okay, well, I have two options. Either I could be frustrated and upset with that fact, or I could get really good in one year. So what am I going to do? To do that, and I've never had this extra time, and it was just full on eyes on the prize on that because it was one of the ways that I think kept kept me sane during some of the the COVID craziness. <laughs> yeah, well, it's
0: awesome, and I and I hope you do get on that list and jump on Don Heringer or how they come up with who's coming for the team? Must be, I mean, the coaches I know Jeb and and um, Michael must be in that some, but hopefully you can come out and because um, Angela and I are just going to book a, a you know stand up. Yeah, you're gonna have to do a stand-up routine we hear that you're you are yeah. you you studied that went to new york and yeah. did some stand-up so i yeah. think you know one of the late afternoons maybe a wednesday afternoon optional yeah would be yeah. you know a stand-up routine but we could do it you know a little i don't know 15 minute gig on thursday night at the
1: banquet too we could do that yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think evening's better and if people have drinks in them i'm w- a lot more funny <laughs> uh, you know i think yeah because
0: i think and people are going to hear this now at the end and they're going to go we got to hear more about the stand-up thing you know <laughs> does he do gigs like where is it and uh, people will think i'm making it up but no yeah. you really you went to new york and studied it and this was part of your trying to get better public speaking wasn't it or at least yeah. comfortable with being in front of groups i
1: did um the stand-up comedy is a little hilarious because my wife will tell you either i'm retired or <laughs> not funny and it depends on who asks her, but she, <laughs> no. she does that a little bit. It's it, it's basically when I was 18, I could go to comedy clubs, but I wasn't 21. So you could you could go to a club but you couldn't drink there. So um it was great. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool to to go. And I can remember I saw Polly Shore once and the guy who opened for him was just he came out and he must have dropped like 2300 f-bombs and it was just f-f-f-f-f every like everything and it was like man if he can do that then i could do, i mean i could do that anybody could do that that's not even, that's not even talent so is he, is he
2: from new hampshire
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: is, is no. he on this call
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I never throw any
0: F-bombs.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Yeah, you, kind of, you just kind of lob
1: them. I had this epiphany of like, well, if he could do that, then I could do that. So I'd always wanted to do it. Um, and I went to New York City and that it was, you know, how, how it worked is it was a month-long program, but I got the intensive, you know, week-long program. So on Monday, you know, I was i went to the office and i watched like a video of of the guy who was going to help me write some of my jokes and those kind of things the next day i went to like one of the monthly classes you know the tuesday night class that met for comedy well on tuesday i met the guy and the hilarious thing was it was a vhs recording so i like watched you know and, and looked at what he was talking about and how to set some stuff up the next day i met him in person and he had hair in the video. He was completely bald in the next the next day. And I was like, I "Think your video is a little dated." Oh man, <laughs> one of those yes. things. But it was cool. You got to perform in uh, in, a, in a comedy club. You had to bring three or four friends because they wanted to make money off of your friends and the drinks. So you had to bring people <laughs> to come see your debut, which that was like. It kind of seems like a little bit of a scam, uh, but you got to say that you know you debuted comedy in, in New York City and. Um, there was a, I had done something at that point I was going to Australia in the summertime. So that was really, I did a couple of gigs there. And, um, for me, it was always about like executing what the plan was, what the routine was. So I, I got more thrill of, could I go up there? Could I make people laugh and could I do it? But I also studied so hard because my greatest fear was getting heckled and not knowing what to do and losing my place and just not being able to come back to the actual routine. So I would I would work my butt off of just studying it, memorizing it, um, practicing it in front of the mirror, just doing tons of that stuff. So that I, I never really got heckled that bad, but being in Australia, just, you know, making fun of yourself of being an American was pretty good. <laughs> and then in Aspen, it was, they had this comedy troupe because Aspen used to have this HBO comedy fest that would come here and that turned into some other ones, but there was a little bit of a local crew and they're still, they're still doing it, which is pretty neat. Um, I haven't really done much with them, but it was a lot of ski instructor jokes or making fun of, you know, maybe some of the clients that you have here in Aspen that have a lot of money and they don't know really what to do with it. So they kind of do whatever (laughs) they want with it. (laughs) Some stories are pretty accurate and some are some, some other ones. So yeah, no. (laughs) <laughs> Killington would be good. I, I think I can come up with some good killing, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we're, I think you know, a little 10 15 minute segment there in banquet yeah. night might be pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, Angelo, I know always as we start to finalize up, you always have a couple that might lead him on to some of his um material for that night. You know, some uh, funny questions for, for Kevin here at the end.
2: I, I was gonna ask you what you do when you get heckled, Dave.
0: <laughs> when I
2: heckle, when you get heckled.
0: When i get heckled man i get heckled every time i'm coming down underneath the lift man
2: (laughs) You drop 2300 (laughs) f-bombs
0: if it's on the hill i just wait for the the person to be below me and i just pull up let them go by and then when they stop i come down and blast them with snow (laughs) it's matt boyd so i just cover him you know he's another one he's not that tall so you can get the snow right up over his head oh my god that (laughs) hurts.
2: um no kevin congratulations it, it's a testament to hard work it's really impressive i was thinking about your blog idea that's a great oh, topic yeah. because i th- i think people people assume yet new people assume that like examiners were born examiners i thought all the examiners lived together in a dorm when i was level one i was like oh they they <laughs> flew these guys down here from their dorm in vermont you know And
1: but they it's it in austria that's what they do in austria
2: Well, I I believe that, but you know what I mean? Like it's, and, and, and it's, it's not like that. Most people stumble pretty hard and a lot of people stumble a lot, but you know, you never gave up and that's important. You know, it's a great story. So congratulations, you've fully earned it.
1: Nothing. I remember Jeb, you know, Jeb Boyd saying some stuff at the 2016, where he said, sometimes, you know, the the journey is better than the catch. And, And that I think is actually really resonated with me of you know, it's, it's definitely, it, it feels, you know, kind of sweeter and I'm excited to get back on, on snow and actually see, you know, what, <laughs> what's happened. It's it's so funny. There's, there's people that I haven't seen in person because of COVID. And so all the time when they see me, you know, they're, they're congratulating me. And sometimes I'll forget and just be like, for what? Like, Cause it's Tuesday great. Yeah. Congratulations. Tuesday. Woo. <laughs> you know, <like laughs> but then I'm like, Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, now you know what they're talking about now. So yeah. 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 All right. Well,
0: Kevin, thanks so much. And, um, we're going to put it out there now that, um, we would, we hope to have you back maybe over the winter when sure. we're, we're all back doing our gig and, and you're getting to do the gig with yeah. being the team member. Maybe we'll get some thoughts on how your first year is going. Yeah. And uh, that'd be great if, if we can do that. And, um, Angelo, it's always good for us to get back on here and be doing this. So I hope everybody out there likes this and uh, enjoy some thoughts. Maybe throw up a few questions if you have some on uh, your stand-up comedy for Kevin or mountain biking on our YouTube site. But
1: um, I do have to tell one quick story from. Okay, this. here we go. Go ahead. You'll appreciate this, but yeah. and we got to get this in there. But yeah. um, you know, one of the things I didn't realize you guys just started back in October, because I thought you've been doing this for for a while. But um, one of the reasons. I love this podcast so much is because you guys, you know, I would tune my skis, so I listened to some things. But when you had Michael Rogan on, he he talked about the the page forty six and how it was full <laughs> usage. So well, one of our one of the fellow you know candidates with me, his name's uh, Hannon Merritt, I think he's based in Tahoe somewhere. But he had listened to the podcast, and then he had uh, it was kind of like this you know short teach presentation where you had to pick like from one list, and you had to pick from another list. So he had something like uh you know pole usage and i don't know maybe it was turn shape or some you know specific you know skill pressure control or some, something like that and he had to put the two together but he quoted you guys and he's like oh yeah from you know chaos and company page 46 and and rogan was our evaluator so i was like wow that's so cool and number one i know what he's talking about i know what he's talking about i'm also i'm a fan i'm a fan and then I was like, that's awesome. He quoted what you guys are. And then it's even better that Rogan's like grading us. <laughs> <So, laughs> I thought Rogan's eyes were going to go
0: right through me when I pulled that one up on him in the second podcast. And I'm like, yeah, I went and looked at page 46. He goes, You do know, I really don't know exactly. It was kind of just, it was the point I was making. I'm like, Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man. So cool. the, Kevin, congrats. Thanks. Good. And um, thanks, everybody, out there for listening. This is the Fall Line with Chaos and Company.
1: Yeah.